0: Hello and welcome to the Carl Road Baptist Church podcast. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end of the episode for additional info on where to find more resources for past sermons, as well as how to watch us live each Sunday if you can't join us in person at our Columbus, Ohio location. Let's prepare to hear this week's sermon and listen for what God is saying to you and what He wants to do in your life.
1: Well, welcome to each and every one of you. Welcome as well to those of you who are joining us by, by way of live stream. We're so glad that you can be with us today. And we wanna move on with our message and as we continue to look at the book of 2 Corinthians together. When he was Secretary of State during the Reagan administration, the late George Shultz, he just died last year at the age of 100. Um, he kept a, a large globe in his office And uh, when any newly appointed uh, ambassador had an interview with him before leaving on their new assignment, um, Schultz would give them a a little test. And um, he would say, now I want you to go over to the globe and I want you to prove to me that you can identify your country. And so the ambassador would, would uh, spin the globe, and then uh, he or she would put their finger on the country to which they were gonna be sent. And this continued on for a while, and it happened also uh, without fail. I mean, he did this for every ambassador. When Schultz's old friend and uh, former Senate Majority Leader, Mike Mansfield, was appointed ambassador to the country of Japan, Even he was asked to take Schultz's little test. This time, however, Ambassador Mansfield spun the globe and he put his hand on the United States. And he said, that's my country. That's my country. And George Schultz was really impressed by that. And uh, he said, I've told that story subsequently to all the ambassadors going out from our country. I say to them, never forget that you're over there in that country, but your country is the United States. You're there to represent us. Take care of our interests and never forget it. You're representing the best country in the world. When you are an ambassador, it's vitally important to always remember what country you really represent. Now, in our scripture passage today, every follower of Jesus, that's you and me, is called an ambassador. You represent the kingdom of God among all the other nations, all the other people groups, in the world and you're sent into this world as an ambassador of the monarch of that unseen spiritual but very real country called the kingdom of god and i'm talking today about king jesus you're his ambassador and as his ambassadors you and i have a job a task a mission a goal a purpose every day that we live and it's all wrapped up in another word that shows up in our scripture passage today, and that's the word reconciliation. Well, let's take a look at that passage right now, shall we? Second uh, Corinthians chapter five, and I'm gonna begin reading at verse 16 and read through verses verse two of chapter six. Remember, folks, um, Chapter divisions and verse divisions are not inspired. God's word is inspired. It was originally written without chapters and verses, so sometimes we go beyond and around chapters and verses and so forth uh, to deal with a section at a time. So anyway, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter five, I'm beginning to read at verse 16. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view, Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled, oh, there's that word, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And God made him who had no sin to be sinned. For us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Cruciform. Cruciform living out a cross-shaped life. That's that's an overarching mega-theme of 2 Corinthians. This this letter, the great Christian leader Paul wrote to uh, the very first group of Christians living in the city of Corinth. And even though they were followers of Jesus, uh, most of them were very new to the Christian life. And one evidence of that spiritual immaturity was the fact that they were a relational disaster zone. I mean, they really were. Dissension, strife, backbiting, gossip, slander, cliques, favoritism. And a big piece of that relational upset and turmoil was with Paul, their, their spiritual leader, Um, If there was ever a group of people in need of conflict management and reconciliation in their relationships, my goodness, it was the Christians in Corinth. So in the passage that we just read, Paul told them, and he tells us too, that as followers of Jesus, his ambassadors, we are called to something. Being cruciform, having a cross shaped life, means, first of all, that you and I are called to a message of reconciliation. We have a message. And Paul says here, for God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us the wonderful message of reconciliation. So what, what does that mean? Well, first of all, uh, what is reconciliation? Well, reconciliation is when a relationship that's been defined by hostility is replaced by one that's marked now by peace and goodwill. You make up. And, uh, you know, we have relationships with family, friends, co workers, fellow students, neighbors, just to identify a few. And I suspect every last one of us here today has had at least one relationship with another person turn out to be sour, negative, ugly. And many of us know only too well uh, the the deep pain associated uh, with a persistently hostile relationship with another person. Difficult. And, And every one of us today has probably experienced reconciliation as well. A strained, a broken relationship somehow got fixed and became peaceful, productive, and positive. Again. So, why is there so much hostility and hatred out there today? Uh, no doubt most of you are aware of what's been called cyberbullying, um, attacking and denigrating people through some of the social media platforms out there like Twitter or Facebook or whatever. I mean, why do people say, vile things about or to other people why why is there so much division and polarization in our country uh, why have we given ourselves permission as a society to treat one another with with hate with bitterness with with negativity why is divorce so commonplace why, why do parents and kids end up treating each other in ways uh, that they'd never treat a total stranger and and You know, folks, even members of a church can dislike each other. Now, I haven't really experienced that here in our church, uh, but that can happen in churches. They can dislike each other. They can void each other, refuse to resolve their differences, even in a church. Why? Folks, very simple answer. It's a short one, too. Three letters, sin. 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 And sin is the cause of every unkind word, every selfish action, every prideful attitude, every thoughtless behavior, every broken relationship out there. And the root of all hostility between two people or between groups of people goes back to a much more fundamental and basic hostility, our dislike of God. Which most people are probably unconscious of, but it's still very real our dislike of his rules, our dislike of of his authority over our lives. And unless and until you're reconciled to God, you can never be completely reconciled to anyone else in your life. I'm not saying you're not going to have friends or some good relationships, but there's always going to be some very big barriers. But when you get reconciled to God, it's possible... Then to be reconciled literally to everybody else in your life. It may take some work, may take some effort, but that's when the possibility opens up. And the Bible is the story of how you and I had this broken relationship with God and the steps that God has taken to fix it. Our relationship with God was in some desperate need of reconciliation and despite the fact that He, this is God's universe, we decided that that we didn't need him telling us how to run our lives. But the Bible says that while we were content to maintain a a hostile relationship with God, hurting God, hurting ourselves, uh, hurting other people through our sinful actions and attitudes, God took the first. God took the most important step toward making peace. And it, it really wasn't God's responsibility to seek peace with us. After all, he was the one who had been wronged by us. Nevertheless, God sent his son to die in our place on the cross. That's what we're celebrating again at the end of our service when we partake of communion. It's very clear in the passage that, that we, I read just a little earlier. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering of our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ, you know, in the Bible you find sometimes a one or two verses that pretty much cover the gospel. That's one of them right there, in the passage that we read this morning. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. March tenth, nineteen seventy four. This is a fascinating story to me. Lieutenant Hiro Onada was the last World War II Japanese soldier to surrender. 1974? Yes. Onada had been left on the island Labang in the Philippines on December 25th, 1944, Christmas Day, with a command to keep on fighting even if Japan surrendered. And, And every effort... To get this guy to, to surrender or to capture him failed. He, uh, he ignored loudspeaker messages announcing Japan's surrender and that Japan was now an ally of the United States. Leaflets were dropped uh, over the jungle uh, begging him to surrender so that he could return to Japan. Refused. Refused. And, and over the years, he, he lived off the land He uh, raided the fields and gardens of local citizens. He was also responsible for killing at least 30 Filipinos during his 29-year personal war. Almost half a million dollars was spent trying to to locate and convince him to surrender. And finally, almost 30 years after World War II ended, Onada surrendered his now rusty sword after receiving a personal command from his former superior officer to stand down. And Onada handed his sword to to the then president of the Philippines who pardoned him. Finally, the war was over for Lieutenant Onada. Onada was 22 years old when he was left on that island, 52 years old when he finally surrendered. And I read that story and I, I, and I kinda go, what a waste. What a waste of 30 years of your life. And yet I realize, folks, that, that like Hiro Onada, there are many people who are still fighting this lonely battle against God. News flash, God has already won the war. Look at the table. He's already won the war, and he's offering you and me and everybody else reconciliation and peace. Take it. Live into it. Receive it. He's already won. Surrender. The first, the most important relationship that needs to be changed is the one that you have with God Himself. And that begins when you put your trust and faith in in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord. And on the basis of what he did for you on the cross, you ask him to forgive you of your sins and your rebellion against God. And now that the Holy Spirit lives within you, you begin to live out a life that, that pleases God. Oh, it's a very gradual process to be sure, but if you're truly a disciple of Jesus, you're going to make progress. Why? Well, because you're actually a new person now. I hope you didn't miss another great verse in what I read today. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become what? A new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. Everything about your relationship with God changes. Once you had no relationship with God to speak of, now you call him father, and he calls you son or daughter. Once you were hostile toward him, now you love him. Once you dreaded God, you didn't want to to be near him, now you treasure his presence, you want to be close to him. Once even the idea of God made you feel anxious, And now it's God alone that gives you peace and joy. So is this new relationship with God supposed to be kept a big secret? No. Oh, no, 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 no. Every follower of Jesus is called to share this message of reconciliation with God, with even those who still have a broken relationship with him. There's kind of an amusing story of a young man who applied for a job as an usher at a theater. And the manager, he was interviewing him, and he asked him this question. What would you do if a fire broke out in the theater? And the young man answered, oh, don't worry about me, I'd get out, okay? <laughs> that was not the answer the manager was looking for. Okay? But sadly, it can resemble, I think, sometimes uh, the attitude of some of us followers of Jesus. What would you do if, if Jesus came back tomorrow and eternity began? Oh, don't worry about me. I'd be okay. Hmm. You're called to be a spiritual usher. You're a doorkeeper into the house of God. And it isn't enough just to get yourself out. God is calling and expecting you and me to help others get out so that they can get in. And this is why we encourage you to pray for specific spiritually lost people in your circles of influence. This is why we look for opportunities to get into spiritual conversations with them. This is why if God gives us the opportunity, we actually share with a lost person a a verbal explanation of what Jesus did and we invite him or her to put their trust in Jesus. Every follower of Jesus is called to share this message of reconciliation not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just church staff members or church leaders, anyone, everyone who has been reconciled to God is now called to share this message of reconciliation with others. You're Jesus's ambassador, ambassador. And that message of reconciliation is all wrapped up in that that image, that metaphor of being Jesus's ambassador. Look again. Verse 20, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Well, let's just kind of think through this metaphor a little bit. What does an American ambassador do? Their job is to represent and advance the interests of the United States in a foreign country. And while he or she lives in that country, he is still a, still a citizen of the United States. And as Jesus' ambassador, my friend, your ultimate loyalty in this life is to Jesus because ultimately you are a citizen of the kingdom of God. In fact, being a citizen of the kingdom of God is even more important to you than being a citizen of the United States. And most of the time, there's no conflict between being an American and being a follower of Jesus. We, we can be both at the same time. But if there ever does come a time when we have to choose between one or the other, the follower of Jesus is always going to choose the kingdom of God and King Jesus first and foremost. That's our ultimate loyalty. And often an ambassador uh, learns the language and the customs and the culture of the country to which he or she is sent without becoming a a citizen of that country and and followers of Jesus, we're we're, we're kind of like that. We're called to be fully in this world, but not of this world, we participate in it, but we don't participate in its values. And, and we're called to take part in all the different aspects of our earthly life while remembering uh, that above all and in all, we belong to Jesus first and foremost. Boy, there's, this is a rich analogy, a metaphor. You know, one of, the, one of the primary responsibilities of an American ambassador is to speak out on behalf of the United States in that foreign country where he or she has been placed And likewise, as followers of Jesus, we represent who? Jesus in our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, at our jobs, in the voting booth, on social media, in society itself. An American ambassador understands the United States is often judged by by his or her words, actions, behavior, attitudes. And the honor, the reputation of our country is often in the hands of the American ambassador in that country. And likewise, we, we realize the incredible privilege and responsibility to represent none other than King Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in every context of our lives. And because you and I represent Jesus in all those places, his honor His reputation will often depend on our words, our actions, our behavior, and attitudes. And folks, here's the deal. Lost people will either be attracted to Jesus or they're going to be turned off to Jesus by what they observe in your life and mine. Like it or not, fair or not, right or not, that's just the way it is. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you are called, at any moment of any day, to give a message of reconciliation. And as Jesus' ambassadors were called to something, this, folks, this is, this is an aspect of what it means to be cruciform, to have a cross-shaped life. You know what else it means? It means that you and I are called to a ministry of reconciliation. Not just the message, what God's done for us and what all that means, but you and I are called to a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, you are now a reconciler. And because you have a new and a healthy and a, a, a vertical relationship with God through His Son Jesus, the potential now exists for new, healthy, and horizontal uh, relationships with, with yourself. Now, now, what's 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 that about? That that may sound a little bit a little bit out there to have a relationship with yourself. You know, folks. Here, here's where I'm going with this thought. I have met so many people over the years, and many of them in churches. Sad to say who essentially have a very negative and broken attitude about themselves. Um, They think of themselves as worthless or lacking value or being of little importance to God or anybody else, and they they just carry all that baggage around with them day after day, year after year. And uh, the world without God tries to fill the void by telling them to think positively or to keep their chin up And I'm convinced that that only God can give you or me or anyone else that sense of real value and worth. The Bible says that you were made in God's image. Therefore, you are worthwhile. It also says that you're a person for whom Jesus gave up his life on the cross. Therefore, you have infinite value. You know, the cross right there on the communion, it symbolizes many things, many important things. But among other great truths, it's the greatest monument to your essential value and worth as God's creature. If you ever doubt your value, look at the cross. That's what you're worth to God. And you don't have to earn or deserve or prove your value to God. It's a given. It just is. And it will always be. And here's something else. Being reconciled to yourself can also mean being true to your true self and false to your false self. Well, let me me explain that thought a little bit. Your true self is the good stuff that's in you today. Whatever God put into you at your conception in your mother's womb, It's everything in you for which Jesus died to save or redeem. Like what? Well, it's your own unique personality, your gifts and abilities, your desire to know and worship God, your love for family and friends, your love of beauty, however that gets expressed, how you like to serve others or meet their needs. But you and I also have a false self, which which is the bad stuff in us today, and we all have it. It's all the the broken, dark, messy stuff inside each of us, and frankly, it's the stuff that Jesus died on the cross to get rid of in your life and in mine. It's found in our pride, in our own unique ways that, that that we still resist and refuse God's authority over our lives. And the cross, it tells you and me that we are of infinite worth to God and that there is so much in us that is worthy of being saved and redeemed. But, you know, here's what else the cross says. The cross tells you and me that there's also stuff inside of us that, frankly, just needs to die out, to be utterly destroyed and to be sent to hell forever where it belongs. And being cruciform speaks to, to both of those realities. When you can discern between your true self and your false self, and you nurture the true self and you put to death the false self, one kind of reconciliation is happening within you. Being a reconciler also means our relationships with other people can now be, be healthy and positive. Why is that? You know, one reason is because the cross of Jesus has the power to change how you and I evaluate people. And Paul mentioned that in our Bible passage that we read today. I hope you didn't miss it. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. You see, there was a time before the conversion of Paul when he evaluated Jesus from a merely human perspective. And at that time, Jesus appeared to to Paul to be a heretic, a failure, a blasphemer, scoundrel. But then Paul met Jesus through a vision on the road to Damascus, and he saw Jesus from God's perspective, and the verdict was very different then. So how does this world without God evaluate your worth, your value, and mine? Looks at the color of our skin. It uh, looks to see if we're male or female. It considers how physically attractive we might or might not be. It takes in our level of education. It ranks us in terms of income, what kind of house we live in, what kind of job or career we go to on Monday. It might even judge you by your social or political views. And and all of that criteria, you see, that means such a great deal to this world without God. But they mean nothing to God. Nothing. When you become a follower of Jesus, the criteria you use to evaluate other human beings and the value of relationships with them changes. It's got to and that changes how you treat them leonard sweet a, a christian author tells a great story i love the story it's about a, a christian friend tom wiles a few years ago leonard um uh flew to um an area of the country and tom picked him up in a brand new ford pickup and um Leonard was scheduled to speak at a leadership conference at the university where Tom worked. And um, so he went, he had these meetings and so forth. He was was just there about a day. And when he was about to get back into the same truck uh, for the ride back to the airport, Tom was taking him back to the airport, Leonard noticed these two very big, very new scrapes on the passenger truck or on the passenger door of this truck, and he said, "Tom, what happened here? and uh, Tom sounded a little a little down. He said, "Well, my neighbor's basketball post fell and and left those dents and scars and um, Leonard said, Well, you're kidding, how awful is that and 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 uh, the, he said, My goodness, this truck is so so new it's still got that that new truck smell to it' And, and Tom answered, he said, yeah. He said, what's well, even worse is my neighbor doesn't feel responsible for the damage. Hmm. Well, Leonard was outraged for his new friend, Tom, and, and he said, well, have you, have you contacted the insurance company? How, how are you going to get him to pay for it? And uh, here's, here's what Tom said. He said, you know, this has been a real spiritual journey for me. After a lot of soul searching and discussions with my wife about hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can either be in the right or I can be in a relationship with my neighbor. And since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than this truck, I decided that I'd rather be in a relationship than to be right. Wow. Besides, he said, trucks are meant to be banged up, so I got mine initiated into the real world a bit earlier than I expected. Wow. Boy, when I read that story, I said, would I handle that situation like that? Boy, I'm not sure Rick Bruce would. Reconciliation. I mean, how important is that on just a real world level to you? When you begin to see people from the perspective of the cross to the eyes of Jesus, you you, you become a reconciler. I mean, think about marriage as as an example. No human relationship has more potential for joy or blessing or for pain and heartache. And when you begin to see your spouse not as you know your cross to bear but someone for whom jesus gave his life on the cross i mean it can change everything how can you ignore or snub or disrespect such a creature i think about the role of a parent as an example children aren't an inconvenience or a drain on your wallet they're precious beings entrusted to you mom and dad to mold into shape to the best of your ability. Think about your brothers and your sisters in this church as an example. Followers of Jesus in Corinth were, they were writing each other off. They were treating each other harshly. And that can still happen today. And if we could just see our brothers and sisters through the eyes of Jesus, it would be so much easier to say, I'm sorry, I I treated you badly. Please forgive me. Think about about the needy people right here in Northland and beyond. The homeless, the poor, the refugees, the immigrants, people who are just finding it really difficult to get ahead in life. There are no ordinary people out there, folks. Not if you look at them through the eyes of Jesus. Each one is a creation of God. Each one is a person for whom Jesus died. Each one is an eternal being. June the 11th, 1963. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. The University of Alabama campus. Vivian Malone in the picture there was the first African American to enroll at the University of Alabama. And it was not without a lot of opposition. Some of it by the then governor George Wallace who stood and opposed it on racial and segregationist uh, principles. But there were federal officials there who um, made it possible for Vivian Malone to go ahead and register and enroll, and she became the first African-American to graduate from the University of Alabama. Then Governor George Wallace actually came to regret that decision. You may remember that during the time he was running for president, he was shot by an, an somebody trying to assassinate him, and he was crippled. He had to live the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And years later, he asked to be taken to the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama because he personally wanted to apologize to the African-American members of that church for his racist attitudes and actions towards them. Well, why that particular church? Because that was... Vivian Malone's home church. And not only did he want to apologize to the members of that church, he wanted to personally meet and apologize to Vivian Malone. And they did meet. And Vivian had the opportunity to tell him that she had actually forgiven him years earlier. Well, the press got a hold of that And they wanted to talk to Vivian. And they said, is it really true that you told George Wallace that you had forgiven him years ago for his attitudes and actions towards you? And she said, yes, I did. And they said, well, why did you do that? And, And here is the answer that Vivian Malone gave to the reporters that day. Kind of matter of fact, but don't miss the significance of it. This may sound weird. I'm a Christian, and I grew up in the church. I was taught that no other person was better than me. I was taught that we are all equal in the eyes of God. And I was also taught that you forgive people no matter what. That was why I had to do it. I didn't feel as if I had Any other choice? Cruciform. Are you cruciform? Do you have a cross-shaped life? Vivian Malone is is a good example of what it means to be cruciform. To be cross shaped. It means that you and I have been given a message of reconciliation. And it means that you and I have also been given a ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Father God, We've been talking about big things today, your reconciliation of us and how that affects us. And then now we've been given this message and we've been given this ministry and it can feel a little bit overwhelming. And yet there it is. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. This is what it means to be cruciform. This is what it means to have a cross-shaped life. And so Father, help us not to shrink from the calling that is a part of belonging to your kingdom. We are all ambassadors of your kingdom and of King Jesus. Oh, dear Lord, help us to represent you well every day with every person that we come across in this life's journey. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Carl Road Baptist Church Podcast. We hope you found something that can be applied to your life today and into the future. You can always watch our past services or see them live on YouTube, Facebook, and our website at www org. That's Carl with a -A K-A-R-L roadbaptist.org. If you search YouTube or Facebook, look for Carl Road Baptist Church, and don't forget to subscribe or follow us if you are watching via a service that allows that, so you can stay up to date and notified when another episode is ready for you to watch or listen to. Thanks again for sharing your time with us and putting in the effort to maintain your relationship with God. Have a fantastic week, and we look forward to growing alongside you in the future with the next episode of the KRBC Podcast.